Varmt välkommen! Jag heter Ingemar Fast och är konstnärlig ledare för litteraturscenen här på Kulturhuset Stadsteatern, det stora allkonsthuset vid Särgels torg i Stockholm. Åren går och plötsligt är det dags att jubilera. Internationell författarscen fyller 20 år. Allt startade den 22 januari 1998. Jag inbjöd ett knippe författare från olika delar av världen till denna festvecka i januari 2018. Publiken bjöds på fem fantastiska kvällar. Fem ömsom omtumlande, roliga och berörande möten. Lyssna nu till Marie-Darjusek, Frankrike, i samtal med Kim Thuy, Kanada. Och han som leder samtalet bär namnet Hans-Ola Brenner. Samtalet förs på engelska. Well, good evening everybody and thank you for a great introduction. I guess you will agree it sounded very good. Welcome to Stockholm. Um, Ingmar didn't know whether you had met, but I can inform everybody that the chemistry between these women is great and goes pretty <laughs> long back. So I either have a very difficult job or a very easy one. We'll see. I don't know. But, uh, but welcome to both of uh, you. We'll try to be very nice. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> to include or you. Or you probably shouldn't <laughs> try to be nice. Uh, but to establish some facts, uh, when did you meet and under what circumstances? I, I didn't know Marie. And we, we met at a festival, right? Yeah. In, uh, in Vancouver. And I mm-hmm. fell in love with her right away. Me too. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we tried to sit at the same table mm-hmm. that evening. We didn't know that uh, for that event, each table had bought basically an author. <laughs> and so we couldn't change places. Whereas we tried to be on the, yeah, at the mm-hmm. same table. Mm-hmm. That was it. Yeah. And uh, that's how we it managed. all started. Mm. <laughs> Coup de foudre. Mm-hmm. How do you say that in... Love at, uh, love, at love at first sight. Love at first sight. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. yes. yeah. Vietnamese, we don't have that expression. You don't know. No, uh, yeah. we go slowly <laughs> and we don't know how to be good food. Right? Yeah. You know, like it's too striking. Yeah. <laughs> and th- this became a friendship. So, so you keep in touch from time to time. Uh, Little. Yes, we, uh, yeah. we kept in touch, and then you forgot mm. everything about me. But we exchanged <laughs> no. some emails. Yes. <laughs> no, I met we her some yeah, sometimes yes. in Montreal. We met in Montreal again, and I just jump on her <laughs> without. Yeah, and then Marie is so tall that I she can really hold me. She bought new shoes. Yes, just to yes, to just for me. her, yes. just to be tall as tall <laughs> as Marie. <laughs> but obviously, it didn't work. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> Okay, so so um, <laughs> that's good. That's good. So a friendship uh, was established, and you didn't disappoint anyone at the at the tables. Everyone uh, uh, were everyone happy. Everyone was okay. We 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 yeah. We got separated, and but the next day we met again, and, and we uh, met this guy who is not that handsome. You told me. Oh, yeah. he he yeah. used to be yeah, super yeah, handsome. Yeah, Denis Hibesha. She lives in she lives in Canada. I don't so. Yeah. Uh, she, I, I, she gives me some news from people. He's like this anyway. typical, well, I mean typical news, American okay. uh, <laughs> kind was, of yeah. man that you, you know, a traveler to Africa. Yeah, across Congo walking. Yeah, yes. yeah. And he talked a lot about the bonobos, you mm. know, the, the monkeys uh, yeah. who have sex for uh, for anything. Yeah. <laughs> for everything. <laughs> and so we discussed about that. So both of us with the knee in the middle and... You know, we, us falling in love with him. <laughs> uh, mm. But I've told her that it's okay now. He's not. He's aging. 
good. So like we are safe. Mm. <laughs> There's no but this is interesting. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he wasn't that handsome anymore. Those things happen. Uh, we try not to fall in love with you. No, no. <laughs> feel free. But, but I... Um, I, my idea was that we could start <laughs> off, because you have written several books, of course, uh, both of you, and, and uh, how could we talk and kind of uh, um, live up to all of those books in this conversation? I don't know, but we could start off, I think, uh, with the fact that you both once wrote the first book. Mm -hmm. Yes. And under what circumstances did your first books, uh, first books come alive, so to speak? Could you explain a little? Very different. No, you, you said, yeah, because you worked as a psychiatrist first. Oh, no, no. When I wrote my first novel, I was a student. Oh. Should I start? You want to start? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Start. Two different stories. Yeah. But first, I know other novels. things about Marie, yeah. but not that part. <laughs> no, my first novel, I wrote it when I was a student uh, years ago. It's called Pigtails. Here it's called Sugiek. I don't know how to... Sugeshul, <laughs> yeah. in Norwegian at least. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, this. It I wrote it in '96. It was published in '96, and uh, it's a story of a woman turning into a sow, into a pig, under the pressure of a, a machist um, uh, society, a society of pig men. And uh, as you may know, today in France, there's this movement. It's not Me Too. It's uh, Balance Ton Porc, uh, denounce your pig which is quite problematic, but uh, interesting also. And uh, Pigtails, has, uh, it has a new life in a way, because it's the story of a woman who turns into a sow because men are pig. So, uh, so that was my first novel, and I was not a student anymore after that. Another, another life begun. Yeah, yeah because y your life must have changed radically. It changed a lot, yes. It, it mm -hmm. became a, a a big seller, and uh, and that was probably not your aim because <laughs> most uh, writers did not it have it that. Because I was same. very angry. Yeah, yes. it was anger. Mm. Yes, yeah. I was very very angry too. I uh, I was I was born in the countryside in the south of France in Basque country, and uh, I arrived in Paris very innocent, very candid, and I didn't know how to behave in the street, and I was. Constantly harassed, and there was not even a word for that. We young girls uh, had to, you know, cross the street with our headbands and shyly like that, and not knowing how to behave. And we were constantly bothered by by silly, stupid men. Other men were really nice, but it was very difficult to take the subway without being bothered it was very difficult to be in the street in a public space without being harassed only because you were 20 and wearing a skirt and having breasts and hips and uh, and there was no name at that time now today we call it um, sexual harassment. street harassment sexual harassment mm. le harcèlement de rue and it's good to have a name for it, it's a concept, and it's good to know that you can complain about it, because at the time, I didn't even know that it was not acceptable. I thought, well, men are like that, you know? And so I wrote, th th this book, Pigtails, is about that. It's about what a woman accepts, because she doesn't know it is not acceptable. Mm -hmm. And it was the middle of the 90s, and fortunately, the world has changed. It has changed, and we have Absolutely. names for that now. Yeah. So that's the story of well my first Quebec, novel. In Quebec, the movement is Moi Aussi, 
oui. for, for me too, mm -hmm. uh, because we don't have uh, the expression But you write this novel from, from, from the, the urgency then called, mm -hmm. uh, called uh, anger mm -hmm. uh, and it's a dystopian novel and things turn out to, to become true uh, as they're in a way supposed to be with the dystopian uh, novel. They confirm the future in a way and, uh, and it is a uh, novel that I, I don't know how you relate to it now. Is it so that people contact you about it still? Is it, do you feel like my first life? novel? Yeah. Oh, it's I, I am so lucky because I, I'm one of these writers who have. Who I I don't know how I wrote this novel. It just like jumped out of me, but it's still so alive. And people put it on stage, uh, study it in the university. They, like, people constantly talk me, to me about this book, and I, I cherish this book. Of course, this book makes perhaps a little bit of shadow over my other books, but I will not complain about it. I, I'm so happy I wrote one good book. The other ones I don't know, but <laughs> one good book. <laughs> and I was 27, it's, and it changed my life, so I have no regret. And the book is so much alive everywhere, it's, it's fantastic. Mm. And it's very skillfully done. I, I mean, it seems like a, a natural thing in a way that uh, a woman could turn into a pig. I mean, you, you describe it in a way that <laughs> makes it seem very possible in a way. So one start look looking for signs, but uh, uh, incredible things happened uh, after you had published this book. Um, Jean-Luc Godard wanted to make a, a, a movie. movie from it. Mm -hmm. It must have been a, an incredible <laughs> thing for a, for a young writer. Yes, it was a crazy time, but you know, it was uh, like uh, it was 22 years ago, and. Um, I was this young student, a bit uh, shy, a bit uh, very depressed, uh, very, and suddenly everything happened. Uh, Jean-Luc Godard, Nathalie Sarraut was my idol, an incredibly great writer, much more aged than I was, but we became friends. And, and Paris, Paris, the, the literary city opened to me. And, um, and I'm still there, and, uh, and I met my, my dear, French publisher who passed away recently and I met so many other writers and I could most of all um, write other books which was my childhood dream and I'm still writing and I'm still standing and How and many then books now? I, I don't know, about around 20 with theatre plays and things like that mm. and I just became a writer thanks to this book uh, It's. Uh, but you're no, not going to expand on having Jean-Luc Godard on the answering machine? Oh, okay, you want me to tell the story? <laughs> no, it's, you know, you're a student, you live in a... I, d I didn't have much money, of course, as a student, and I lived in a, in a suburb in Paris, and there was no cell phone at that time, and I, I had a hand answering machine, which was already something. And I come home, and there is Jean-Luc Godard. He, he's got this Swiss accent. Bonjour, c'est Jean-Luc Godard. Il faudrait qu'on se voit. Il est bien votre livre. And then I meet him and... Uh, and um, Did you believe that it was him? <laughs> oh no, of course not. First, no. You thought it was that a prank, Of course, right? of course, <laughs> yes. Oh, that's normal, I, uh, yes. Mentally, it's normal. So I phoned my publisher, I said, yes, yes, he's interesting, you should call him back, etc. So I called him back and I was very shy. And in a way, it's um, a rendezvous manqué. It's um, a missed rendezvous because I was too shy. It was... Jean-Luc Godard to me was a god, a cinema god, and he's still. And uh, and uh, we met 
a lot of time, and we started working about the book, and he had very good ideas, uh, mixing my book and Alice in Wonderland. And uh, I, I, I was in his home frequently, and he showed me movies, because he realized that I didn't know much about cinema, and even about his cinema. And I have this vision of Jean-Luc Godard smoking his big cigar and, and pacing in his corridor, and me looking at his six volumes of, of uh, history of cinema, of uh, his films, <laughs> for hours. <laughs> like that, and I was completely paralyzed. And yes, in a way, we became friends, but I, I was too young, and in, he was, he was Jean-Luc Godard. So now I think I, I, would, I would be able to, to, to talk to him. We, we always ate Li Lebanese food. I don't like it so much, but he, he loved it. <laughs> and he always had a cold, I remember. And then, that's the end of the story, he disappeared. And uh, that's the way he does. And... Uh, he disappeared, and so many things happened. I, I traveled everywhere with the book, so it was not that bad. And, and suddenly, after six months, he reappeared, he phoned me, and, he s and I said, well, Jean-Luc, vous étiez où? And he said, six months, huh? no news. J'ai joué au tennis. <laughs> I played tennis. That was his <laughs> excuse. <laughs> And in fact, he had had a depression and he had changed his, his mind. And he, he was ele elegant enough to tell me after a while that the book was too good to make a movie, which mm. I thought was a very elegant excuse. But I think it just changed his mind. So, mm. um, and he didn't do the movie. And after that, when you had Jean-Luc Godard, you become very selective. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for the moment, no movie. No movie. <laughs> But you were waiting for him to call then? After six months? Mm. Oh, well, maybe it's hard to believe, but not so much. I was living a dream. It was Everything was very exciting. I was going to Milan, I was going to New York. Everybody was waiting for me, and it was so new, and I quitted my husband and met somebody else. So, you know, Jean-Luc Godard, mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, it's, it's life. I was young. I was, everything was exciting. Mm. Mm. Uh. Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Kim, what about you? Your, your first book. Oh, about the movie? Well <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I didn't have uh, Jean-Luc Godard <laughs> who called for, for the book, but uh, I'm working on it right now for a movie. They bought it uh, when it got out in 2009, but it took all this time to think about the book. You know, many round tables and, and just discussing, <laughs> drinking, well, in my case, a lot of water, <laughs> other people, a lot of alcohol. And uh, because I cannot drink alcohol, so everybody gets, you know, less and less <laughs> intelligent <laughs> as I'm, I'm there trying to listen. And, uh, and, and it's the same thing. They're all like, okay, we don't know how to, to turn this book into a movie. It's very complicated and it needs... A You're talking uh, about the first one? Yeah, Rue. Of Rue. Okay. And then uh, the, uh, the scriptwriter, he bought many copies of the same book. He tore all the pages <laughs> and then he you know, he, uh, he would make it into different orders. One around one character and the other one uh, is about time. You know, different axes for, for the book. And, and then he got into a depression. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> and in Montreal, he's this famous script writer <laughs> and the producer, he wanted this man to do the script. 
and he just went into depression for two years. <laughs> no. And uh, and so I, yeah, at first, you know, I met him like every second week to answer his questions, to give him, uh, you know, images mm -hmm. and all of that. And then, uh, yeah, for two years, no calls. And uh, But he I was like you, tennis. I was fine. <laughs> no, I think he said, oh, my house burned down. That that was his excuse okay. uh, to be <laughs> in depression. A terrible uh, excuse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. What your house burned down and you couldn't write the movie? Yeah. Um, but this depression-provoking first novel of yours yeah. um, <laughs> is a small masterpiece, I must say. Uh, and I'm very fascinated by the fact you you have these various careers after you arrive in, in Canada, and for some reason you start. To write, yeah, uh, w with with also an urgency, I must uh, say, from uh, from from writing the book, now reading, not writing. Uh, could 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 you explain what yeah. happens? Well, in my case, it was not an, a real um, uh, urgency. Uh, I would say that because I had one month. Uh, to uh, as a, a penalty to be at home, you know I've changed careers every five years, mm. uh, not because I wanted to, but I think because I was not good at what I was doing. So I I just felt like I had to change. I was a lawyer when I stopped to have my children. I thought that nobody would hire me again, <laughs> and so <laughs> I opened a restaurant because of that. Mm. Uh, but then when I opened a restaurant, I thought that I would be able to hire a chef, uh, but. Uh, it was so small that it was impossible to cover the cost of a, a chef. So I found myself in front of the oven and said, now cook. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so I was stuck with this. And I didn't know how to cook, so I could offer only one dish a day. Yeah. <laughs> you you come, you eat whatever I learned from my mom the day before, and, and, and then I cooked. So you're a very interesting combination of uh, a pessimist and an optimist, actually. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, well, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what I am. I'm, I'm full of contradictions, that's yeah. for sure. Mm. And I have accepted it now, you know, <laughs> that I'm, co I'm contradictory with myself. So I was so scared, and I have this restaurant that I had to... So the customers at first, they came in and they thought that it was a concept that I had. <laughs> you know, that you have only one dish, you don't choose, you just sit down and you ate whatever I could do. And uh, over time, uh, of course, they knew that it was my handicap I couldn't do more uh, and uh, but I was a very bad businesswoman so they changed the price for me because they said that the price that I put on the blackboard would not pay mm. even just one staff mm. uh, and mm. they wanted to keep the restaurant open so they you know they kept increasing the price yeah. for me. And then the and book. Then, uh, <laughs> the book <laughs> Where did the book come from? And so I fell asleep a lot because the restaurant business is the hardest, I think, on, on anybody. Mm. And uh, especially for someone who didn't know what she was doing. <laughs> and, uh, and so I fell asleep uh, at red lights a lot. Uh, you you fell asleep at red lights when you were not green. Green, I'm okay. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I drive, but uh, red lights, I it's too long. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, if you give me more than two seconds, if you ask me to fall asleep now, I can't. Uh, okay. You know, two seconds and I'm out. So yeah. I'm a little bit of a narcoleptic. But I can Very also... Very controlled narcoleptic then. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> a perfect thing. Yeah. It's perfect, huh? Yeah. So I can really go like... So I'm trying to help him. When did you start to write <laughs> your book? <laughs> at red lights. At red uh, lights. <laughs> because one way of because if, if you don't if you fall asleep at red lights, it's very dangerous because your foot would get lighter, yeah, yeah, the brake too, and the car would start moving alone, yeah. right? 
and I had some accidents like that. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> what and happened? Well, it did, you just hit the car in front of you. Okay. Yeah, and people v are very angry at two in the morning, <laughs> you know. They come to you and scream at you. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so I've learned many big words yeah. during that time. Mm. And, uh, and so one of the tricks that I found uh, was to take notes, to, to keep the hamsters, you know, rolling in my head. And at first, they were just lists for, uh, you know, of countries that I knew, the verbs that I knew. I don't know so many words, so I'm always happy to go over the, the verbs and the nouns and stuff like that to make lists. And, and one day I ran out of lists, you know? What can you list? What more can you list? And, uh, and then I started writing, and that's mm. how... Yeah, I, and I didn't know that it was writing. It was just to keep my hamsters, you know, awake. And, uh, and then my, I closed the restaurant, because it was at the end of the lease and we didn't make any money. It was always in the red and my husband said, okay, you have to turn it into a charity place or uh, you have to stop. Mm. And so I stopped uh, after five years and, I started, and, and he gave me one month of penalty at home. And he said, okay, now you have to dream of a dream career. And I didn't know where to start dreaming, you know. Uh, when you're, I think when you're a refugee, you're in a survival mode, so you don't you don't dream. You just take in whatever that that you you could. Uh, you know, when we first arrived, my my father he got a job from the hotel where we were uh, to clean the hotel, and he used to be a deputy and professor in philosophy and all of that. But he sat us down, all of us, in our hotel room. Uh, and he said, you know, we are very lucky. The director of the hotel is giving me a job. And so from that point on, every single job that we got, we started with, we are so lucky. Mm. So I never looked for a job, you know. Whatever came to me, it was a gift. So how can you dream? And the last dream that I had was in the refugee camp. And my dream was how to be constipated you know, not to go into that pit. So that was the last voluntary and conscious dream. Huh? Constipation. One of know? the <laughs> most powerful pages of her book is actually the description of uh, where the people had to do... Uh, yeah. yeah, it was uh, just an open pit. English? Yeah, it was just an open pit with uh, worms. And yes. uh, the kids would go there with uh, just... In naked feet or yeah, yeah, tongue, slippers, on, slippers. slippers yeah. and it's it's a nightmare and, yeah. uh, and yes I understand uh, let's stop yeah. having to do that yes. how, and, uh, how can how you how yeah, yeah. Mm. but in a camp you always have diarrhea yeah mm. and and I think it's because of those years that today I have great you know strong legs <laughs> that I can wear these <laughs> shoes uh, because you ha we don't have access, we didn't have access to water. So whenever you go there, you have to listen to yourself and to the neighbors next to you to stand up as quickly as you could because it was so full, whatever fell down went right back up, mm. right? And, and so how to not get yourself dirty because mm -hmm. you don't have water mm -hmm. and you have only two sets of clothes to change. And so that was my last dream. And I couldn't dream of writing because writing you have to master the first tool, which is the language. And I, didn't, I, I still don't master French, you know, I make stupid mistakes. Mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 and so I never thought that I could be a writer at all. So during that month, what I did was I put the notes that I had 
into the computer just to wait for the end of the month and go back to work. I had a couple of offers in, uh, in, in law uh, where, where I used to be. Uh, so it was not at all serious. And it was one of my former clients who, uh, at the restaurant who called me up and said, oh, what are you doing, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I'm being punished. I have to stay home for one month uh, <laughs> doing this thing, you know. But you need so much knowledge to dream. And before the book became what the book was, you couldn't dream of all the possibilities because I didn't know, you know. I I, I give you one example. I had never dreamed of going into space. I am scared of, I, I don't know, it's, it's uh, mid-air, you're floating, you're eating from tubes. I okay. didn't see the purpose of going into space. No. And then I had a chance to meet with uh, uh, our famous uh, Canadian astronaut, and uh, she's a female, a, a woman. And she, I asked her, what do, you know, what do you miss from space? And she said that when you're in space and you don't have any clothes on and you're not touching any of the walls, um, your, your skin does not receive any more stimuli, any stimulation. And when you don't have any stimulation, you no longer know where your body is. Mm. And unfortunately, we were in the elevator, in a lift, and we arrived and she left. And now she's the Governor General of Canada, so I cannot ask her <laughs> more questions. I said, so if you are, uh, you know, if you don't know where your body is, is it that, at that moment that you see your thoughts? And maybe that's where your soul is, you know, for once you would touch your soul. And uh, so she dreams of going back up in, in space just to have that sensation again. And now that I know this thing, I, I also want to go in space naked and <laughs> feel like <laughs> oh nobody. Mm. And Did maybe our breasts would stand, mm. you know. For once. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah, but uh, it's so very. There are there are so <laughs> there are so many things here, you know. Um, one thing is that you should have the privilege to call her because you you have received her award, uh, her literary oh, yes, award. Yes. So, so you should should be able to to call her. Oh, you know, for that award, it was so funny. They called and they asked. The, well, they say we have the pleasure to announce to you that you are the laureate, the laureate. Mm -hmm. of this uh, award and I didn't know what laureate meant <laughs> so I asked her can you give me the definition of laureate <laughs> and they thought that I was kidding but it was totally true and I thought it was a prank mm -hmm. I, you know like Jean-Luc Godard kind of thing I'm like huh no but so. but um I I, I don't He's desperately trying to find a transition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you don't need to, yeah. to do the transition. No, just, go. just the flow. Just go with the flow. Yeah. Troll the, the ball. breasts and everything. But I, I um, well, it was just, <laughs> just the thing with 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 the hamsters and stuff uh, becoming <laughs> this book with its sensitivity and its its perfectly shaped uh, small stories in a way. But that happened for some reason, uh, and, the, um, and you have obviously uh, read this book. Uh, sure, Marie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I sent it to her, so she was forced to. I love yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I just wondered if if you could could add some some um, comments to to the way she um, she uh, she uses what must be memories, I guess, from your own childhood, just to some degree, how they are kind of transformed into literature in this book. How is it literature, yes, number it one? Is. I'm not it is. sure. It is. it is. It is literature. Why? Because there is a voice, because um, 
she, it's not exactly a story, it's flashes. And, and also, uh, what I like to read is the arrival in a new country. And also, it's very, um, it's very positive. They are welcomed. It's a, it's a world where refugees are welcomed and where things are well made for them and where you can have a childhood. And it's difficult because even if things are, even if there's food, hot water, and people are nice, it's very difficult to adapt. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, she finds a way to, in, in, in this little, les vignettes, how do you say that They're in English? fragments, They're I guess. fragments. Yeah. She, she puts, because, because it is fragmentary, because it is not a river, it is not, it has, in a way it has no logic, they just do what they can. Yeah. They, they adapt every day, so of course it's fragmentary. One day, one day, one day, one day. And in the end it's not even a destiny, I don't know what it is. Mm. It's uh, just life. It's life, It's yes. life. And it, that's what... There, there's no moral, there's no... Um, except, well, yes, again... There's no this message. I, I don't think that I had a message. I had no message. No, but again, I was surprised <laughs> to see that there are countries or there were times where you could welcome refugees yeah. in mass. And, uh, and yes, in a country that's specific, Canada. Yeah, uh, well, Canada, because they had a program basically mm. to, to welcome uh, the Vietnamese boat people. It was very, you know, precise. At that time. Yeah, mm. at that time, yeah. because it was, it was a war between East and West, right? But uh, with that uh, Iron Curtain. Just uh, political. And, yeah, mm. communist and capitalist. It had nothing to do with us being Vietnamese or not. Uh, we could have come from another country, but it was the, the international community of the Western world against the communist bloc. And so any uh, anybody who escaped from the communist country was welcome, welcome. by yeah. the Western world. And, that, and, and we got into that movement. So we were very lucky in, uh, I think, in, uh, in Canada during that time, at the peak of the moment, uh, 60,000 Vietnamese were welcomed to, to Canada uh, in, in, uh, in two years. So we arrived there almost... And in like France, it's, it's, it's uh, the same two, thing or even 200,000 yes, yes. Vietnamese people who arrived in mass. And mm -hmm. it works. Yes. And, and in France, mm -hmm. because there's a relationship with, uh, with Vietnam, mm -hmm. uh, so all Vietnamese wanted to go to France, uh, us included. We didn't know where Canada, well, <laughs> we knew where Canada was, and that's why we, was so we were so scared of Canada, you know. Uh, the cold, we thought that they live really in igloos and, uh, <laughs> and no fresh vegetables, you know. Mm. The only image we had, because there was no internet, was an igloo with an Eskimo and a, a stick with a fish at the end. And that was the only image we had. But it didn't matter where we were being sent to. We were just happy to get out of the camp. And I remember my parents arguing about this and they said, you know, let's go to, to, to Canada and then from there maybe we can move to France or to the US, the two countries that we knew uh, about. But we've never left Canada because as soon as we arrived, um, you know, they sent us to a small city. We didn't know anybody there, but uh, we got out of the bus and there was a forest of giants. Mm. We were so small, right? <laughs> and you just look at these big people. Uh, and, and the first cultural... With big stomachs as well. Yes, uh, everything was big. Big mm. hands, big, uh, yeah, big coats. And it was in the winter, uh, not winter, spring. But uh, to us, it was more than winter. And we got out and the first 
cultural shock that I had was that they picked us up physically. And, you know, we knew that we were all, you know, we had infections everywhere uh, because of all the mosquito bites and, and the hygiene. We didn't have any of that. And so we didn't even touch ourselves. And Asians are not so expressive usually. So to be there and to have this physical, you know, contact of attention and affection, it was so amazing. And then the, sec the second cultural shock, uh, no, not cultural, but personal shock, was that in the camp, of course, you don't have electricity and, and running water, so you don't have any mirrors, of course. And so we had not seen ourselves for a long time. So the first time that I saw myself again, it was in the, the eyes of the people who took us in. You know, I had never f been that beautiful as that moment. And I have never become as beautiful again <laughs> because there's this purity in the way they, 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 they took us in. And from that moment on, I fell in love with them. So French, you know, in, in Quebec, there's a law for all immigrants that they are forced to learn French. In our case, you don't have to force. We fell in love. So, And when you fall in love, you want to learn the same language. You want the other, you know, everything, the culture from the other person. So I would never be able to write in a different language than French because writing is about sharing what I find beautiful. And it has to be done with the language of love. And French is my language of love. It's mm. more than a tool of communication. Just want to ask you, Marie, because uh, I mean the... the yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that, that became like totally political <laughs> and not literary so much. <laughs> no, but the word gratitude very easily comes to one when one uh, reads this novel, I, I must say. Um, but you, you, you were talking about writing in French. You also write in French, of course, Marie, but you, you kind of had an alternative uh, mm -hmm. which you didn't use. Could you expand a little on that? So I was born in the Basque country. Basque country is a small country divided between France and Spain. It's in this gulf, this corner of Europe that, that is uh, like a hole in Europe with a big Atlantic Ocean. And then when you follow the coast, you have Spain, Mediterranean, Africa, and then you have another gulf the Gulf de Guinée in Africa. There are those two big gulfs in uh, on the west, well, yes, of the Atlantic Ocean. Anyway, so I was, I, I was, when I was a child, I was very aware that I was in this corner, in this very strange geographical space, uh, gulf. And uh, there's a language, Basque, and a long story of um, trying to get independent, uh, a story of terrorism too, of violence, of uh, oppression by Franco, Spain is a very recent democracy. Franco died only in 75. And I remember my parents on the French side dancing and shouting with joy when Franco was dead, the dictator, and I was six. It was It's a very strong memory. And my, my mother, my father, no. But my mother spoke Basque, my grandmother, all the family, and Spanish, and French, of course. French was the language of television, new television, and school. And my father spoke Basque, but he didn't want to, to speak it because it was, for him, it was a, a peasant, ancient language, and France was progress and future and uh, democracy and, uh, yes, values that he believed in, and modernity. And my mother was very calm about speaking Basque. That was just her language. So I heard all these languages. And I, I think 
we are very lucky to be born in, at the crossroads of many languages. And I think most, actually, most writers, except the American and the English ones, <laughs> are born <laughs> at the crossroads of, of languages. And it's very rich. Uh, it gave me um, the knowledge that French is only one language among others. It's not a sacred na language. It's not a nature. It's not like you know a big field where I would run like that in nature. No, it's a language. It's a convention among others, and I can play with it, and I can invent it, and I can mix it with other words, play with it, and I. I it, this is going to be very French, but I have a. I, I don't agree with the the Académie Française for many reasons. I think they are very frozen uh, and that uh, we have uh, French has to live and be mixed with many languages which is the case absolutely so uh, I play with it I like it but I, I 15 kilometers and I would have been um, at in a Spanish school and some years ago I would have been risen rise re, uh, educate in, in Basque yeah. thank you educated in Basque so um, I'm just lucky. For one example, Basque has no gender. So you can speak about somebody else. For example, I had um, an au pair, Basque uh, young girl, Ainara, which means swallow. I like this name, oh. l'hirondelle, Ainara. And she spoke to me uh, in Basque. I can understand it. I cannot really speak it, but I can understand it. She spoke to me about somebody. And I couldn't know if... She was speaking about a guy or a girl, if he or she was her boyfriend or girlfriend, I just had to listen. And all my a priori, all my prejudices about gender were blocked. I had to listen. And it's, it's, a, it's a language when we, you, you can speak about somebody for about five minutes, which is long, without... Knowing no. if it's a boy or a girl, it's, it's very, interesting. it's very interesting, and I know it has in, um, enriched my French. My French mm. has something to do with that. Mm. But and why is that? One becomes very, very curious about uh, how that uh, came along. Then, in a way, is it a very tolerant language spoken by tolerant people, ah, or how did that come along? Um, it means that, for example, in French, it's very bizarre, but uh, une chaise is feminine and yep. uh, un fauteuil is masculine. <laughs> so <laughs> they are supposed to sleep together, or I don't know, to be... <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> it's very in Basque, nature has no gender. You just, it's, it's a just tree, it's a, a flower. English is already a bit on that side. But, but, but Vietnamese too, it yeah. doesn't have gender. Okay. So what do you think about it? Uh, I w we're fine with it. <laughs> fine. <laughs> <laughs> we we can still understand each other without gender, but mo moreover, in Vietnamese you don't have tenses for the verbs, so it's always infinitive. Hmm. Yeah. So you say uh, I uh, no, uh, it doesn't work uh, in English. But yeah, eat, ate. You don't you don't have it. It's always so you eat. Say Yesterday today, I tomorrow, eat. Yeah. yeah? Mm -hmm. Yesterday I eat an apple, or today I eat an apple. Tomorrow I eat an apple. It's always eat, mm -hmm. right? And uh, and and they say it's that always eat in your case. It always <laughs> eat. Uh, yes, it's always about eating. And uh, and, uh, and there are quite a few teasers, uh, PhD teasers, talking about this problem that we have uh, as Asians, as Vietnamese or Chinese, to learn the French language because. Tenses are so yes, difficult sure. to us, mm -hmm. 
And, uh, and they said that, you know, we don't have the conditionnel, the conditional mm -hmm. and the subjective. Uh, and if you don't have conditional and subjective, then you don't have options. You don't have scenario B or C. Mm -hmm. If I were a man, that's why he d in the had a depression with yeah. your book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, what is this? You know, wh where is she in on this timeline? And it made me think about something because I, uh, in the Western world, I think we we draw uh, the timeline as a, a horizontal you know line that you follow, but in French, uh, you have a tense that is. Futur, uh, futur antérieur. Mm -hmm. So you have future, but before. Future How can you past. be future of the past? Sure, yeah? we can do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that actually time is maybe a circle, right? Because it, it, like the Vietnamese, it's it's a circle. It's like it's it's in one place. We just bring the past into the present and the future into the present, but we don't need that much and. And maybe this is why it explains the Vietnamese what, that we are content with whatever happens to us because we don't have a second scenario. <laughs> we don't have the ifs. You know, we cannot dream. We cannot think about, yeah, the, the future or the so past. So when these two books seem very skillfully shaped and organized and stuff, it's... It was not organized. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's how your brain works. Uh, you know, we, yeah. we talk, uh, everybody talks about this book being fragmented in small pieces and when I wrote it I there's a movie called the joy luck club maybe you've seen it and I still remember the first image is that feather going through the screen you know one line and every time that I I sat down to read uh, to write I always have that line in my head because I want the book to feel like just one breath mm -hmm. you know if I was a painter, it would just be one paintbrush, right? Without dipping it in the paint again. And then, but then everybody says that it's all small pieces. No, but so it's all breasts. as you can see, I don't know <laughs> what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> Maria, did you know what you were doing? Uh, <laughs> writing <laughs> it's as, like, oh my as God. A, a, a sequel to, to the first one. Were they planned in that way? Was uh, all the way is the English uh, title, I think. Mm -hmm. or was it planned as a, a sequel to, to Men? Uh, I, when I found this character, Solange, who is me and not me, uh, Solange is me if I didn't write. It's as simple as that. It's, it's me without the writing. If you had become a Hollywood actress. <laughs> if I had become, I don't know, I, w I was just, uh, I was studying to be a teacher or a journalist. I, I, I knew I was skilled with words, but I, it was a dream to, to become a writer, something unreal. I, and so when it happened, I'm still, you know, some, I, I still wake up in the morning and wow, and think, I, that's what I do. I'm a writer. It's incredible. Uh, so uh, I was not, I was dreaming about it, but it's me without the writing Solange it's so she's um I like this character very much and I like her very much because she struggles she's obstinate and she was not lucky like me to have the tools of a very good education I, I it's me without the writing and without all this uh, education I had uh, in very good schools in France I'm a, I'm a child of the Republic my parents were not intellectuals so everything I learned was at school and I mean they were not stupid people my parents but they were not they, they the didn't they, yeah they did not reach the culture and uh, and so I was uh, very 
I remember me without the culture. I remember me when I was 14 or 17. I started t touching the culture when I was around 17, 18, when I arrived in Bordeaux, the first big city, and then in Paris. And I remember how I was struggling to understand the world with my little tools. And Solange is like that. Uh, in one book, she's 14, 15, and in the other book, she's 32, 33, but she still doesn't have the tools. And I like these people who um, apply their intelligence to the world, but lack some concepts. Uh, it's very useful concepts. When you read, some books have changed my life, and some teachers have changed my life, because they brought me the right concept. Mm -hmm. Gilles Deleuze, or Flaubert, uh, great writers or great philosophers, and some people I met also, not only teachers, friends that I met uh, in very good schools in Paris. But those characters, I like Ma Madame Bovary, Madame Bovary, Flaubert. She was a, a housewife. She didn't love her husband. She got so bored. She tried to understand her life and understand why her life was so shabby and stupid and boring. Even having a child was boring. So I, I, uh, this character is wonderful. She's my saint, you know, patron, uh, Madame Bovary. And all my characters are a bit like that. Life is boring, so what should I do? Sex, yeah, sex should be nice. So that's the story of uh, Clever, was the title in, in I can't say. Flick so let, let's try to have sex. How, how it's the 90s, the, the 80s in a small village in France. It's very autobiographical, and it's a story of a girl who is bored in a village. So phew, let's try. So, and and you remember, for perhaps some of you, I don't see you, the the 80s in Provence, in small villages. We were very lucky because uh, it was after the so-called sexual revolution, but. So-called, yes. I mean, there was a sexual revolution and liberation. It did exist, especially because you could have sex without falling pregnant, which is absolutely the basis of freedom. Mm -hmm. And then it was before HIV. So there was this small window of freedom. But also it was... We were panic-stricken. Because we didn't know... It's like, it, like in space. You don't know what to do with... You're 15, you're completely yes. free. You don't know what to do with your body. <laughs> well, freedom has to be learned. Yes, you exactly. Know, what to do with freedom. And, and that was the same thing with us when we arrived. And all of a sudden, you're allowed to say whatever you want to say. And you're like, what do I want <laughs> to say? You know? And uh, yeah, absolutely, freedom is a thing. And in the, the 80s in, in France, uh, when you were a young girl, you were supposed to be liberated. There, were even, there was even a song about it, horrible song. Être une femme libérée, tu sais, c'est pas si facile. Horrible song. <laughs> but you, you were supposed to be free like Brigitte Bardot, like Jane Birkin, and, and uh, all these wonderful women. How do you do that? So you sleep, you have sex with boys, but you don't always want it. And that's a very, that's, a zone, I call it a grey zone, the grey zone of consent. And it's, it's a, w today we speak about it all the time. What is consent? What is it to be, and all the women here have lived that. You are young, you are half naked on a couch with a young boy. You, you really, you're happy, you're, you feel like being with him, and suddenly it, it's too much. You get scared or you don't feel like it anymore, and you, stay, you say stop. And the guy does not always understand, and the guy does not always listen. And it's the, it's uh, 1986, so guys are not, you know, it's not the same education than today. So, and it goes too far. 
but you were naked with on the couch with him. So I, it's I tell these sort of stories. Is it a rape? What is it? What is it called? And, I and even for the women then, yeah. we didn't know. We didn't know what we what wanted yeah, in yeah, a way. Yeah. Yeah. Also, so I'm I'm talking about this gray zone. And today I I'm I'm strongly feminist, and I'm I when a woman says no, she says no. But I also know that there is this gray zone, and that it's. I think the novel is the perfect space to describe it. Theory, philosophy, feminism as a theory, uh, and uh, newspapers, articles, I write a lot for the press. It's not the right space, because you tend to be too radical, mm. or you tend to say stupid things sometimes. The novel is you have time. you have time, and you can put ambiguity, and you can share it with you and you can have your own opinion reading the novel. It's a space of shared thought and reflection. You see what I mean? And I think the novel is the, and the cinema too is the perfect space to think about consent today. Mm. Hmm. For sure. Mm. Hmm. But you said uh, writing in the press you often become too radical. Do you have a, an example of that? Ah, it's more reactive, I think, when it's in it's the press uh, and it's quick, right? Uh, uh, for the moment, I, I know I, I, I tend to stay mute in the press about this because we have uh, this uh, affair, this story in France of um, these uh, uh, ladies like Catherine Deneuve, a wonderful woman, and Catherine Millet, a great writer, and uh, uh, Catherine Robb-Grier, another great writer, etc. And they, they wrote this paper, very controversial, saying... Uh, things that I don't agree with about uh, it's 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 nice to be uh, har harassed please men please uh, importunez nous uh, please come to us and and importunez nous how can I stress um, it uh, harass uh, us uh, disturb uh, disturb us uh, it's, uh, seduction yeah. is also something you don't always want and this sort of things and Catherine Millet even said I regret not having raped because if I had been raped I would show that I'm not a victim and that you can survive it it's a very touchy thing to say so and Catherine Deneuve after wrote a letter of excuse but she's very intelligent and her letter is very very smart and but well so I was asked to react, and if I reacted, I would be very angry. Because I also know that this grey zone of consent is very complex. And that men are... <laughs> I mean, perhaps you heard about this very sad story about this American star called Aziz something, who is yeah. accused of rape, exactly in this grey zone. And uh, the, the girl was half-naked on the couch with him, and he didn't understand. She, she, she said no. At some, to at some point, this guy said, well, if it's not funny for you, it's not for me, for it's not for me, funny Fun for, for me, for me anymore. So let's stop. So that's that's a great guy, but then they went on and blah blah blah. The problem is that this girl, I don't know who she is, wrote everything on the internet. So you know everything about this, the the sexual habits of this guy. It's horrible in a way. He's being raped too. So this is very complex, and men are not pigs. It, it's much more complex. Some are but not all of them. So uh, I wrote a book in French called Il faut beaucoup aimer les hommes. You have to love men a lot. You know why you have to love men a lot? It's a sentence by Marguerite Duras. You have to love men a lot. If not, they are just unbearable. So, <laughs> 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 so yes, I love men a lot. <laughs> yeah. mm. 
you know, when I grew up, well, the difference is that in, in my case, if, if you, you're bored in Vietnam, I think What you just you cook. You, you just cook. cook. <laughs> you don't have sex. <laughs> you don't know anything about <laughs> your sexuality was not, you know, open yet. So, yeah, we, you just go cook. And, and cut things into <laughs> really small pieces <laughs> and be obsessive about it and uh, that's it. <laughs> you, you, don't <laughs> you don't ask yourself too many questions. But did you so I was saved, you know, by the sexual thing and, 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 and because no man has ever looked at me, so I, I've been kind of saved. <laughs> by the whole thing. <laughs> no, it's true, you know, I've never been half naked and on a sofa. <laughs> Don't believe it. What a man. You were too uh, tiny, they couldn't find you. Yeah, exactly. Like, where is Kim? I'm invisible, you know? No, actually, I studied a lot and worked a lot, so I, I never knew, you know... The, 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 yeah, this teen teenager. Yeah, teenager's time, so I do it now. <laughs> and uh, at 49, when you live a teenager's life at 49, you know better. <laughs> yes, so you can sure. express your consent yes, yes, better at yes, 49. Yes, true. So yeah, now I know how to be on a couch. <laughs> 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 I, I, I mentioned gratitude, I must say, I feel a lot of gratitude now <laughs> for being here to, today. But you, you mentioned, Marie, um, the cons uh, kind of yeah, lacking things. We all, that's a universal thing, I guess, trying to make sense of one's life. But, but your main, main character is lacking something, and what is it that she's lacking? Hmm. Um, in a way, parents. Her parents are typical people from the from the 80s in France, lost in their own sexual love affairs. Uh, these people were um, born of parents struggling for work and then struggling during the war. My parents were just born in 44, uh, in a world where suddenly everything opened and became rich and full of opportunities, jobs everywhere, cars, etc. We we they were. There was no awareness that the planet was perhaps not big enough to support all this progress and etc. So there were what happened between the 50s and the 90s, let's say, is, is absolutely singular on the planet. This growth, this confidence in in sapiens sapiens, huh, our species, and. Um, and the destruction that followed. And also the, the attitude we had into those two blocks, the good on the west side, the bad on the east side, and all the, the wars that were determined by it. And, and now we inherit of a world that's much more complex, mm. much more complex. And oh, the progress, untangled. the progress I was promised when I was a teenager, does will not have will not take place. The planet is too small anyway, so uh, it's much more complex and interesting in a way. So she lacks. I don't know what she lacks. She it's um, she perhaps she lacks a planet in a way, a real ground, you know, something real to 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 walk on it. I think all my books talk about that. That we are standing on a small planet with our back arched. We are the only animals with this arc and in the spine and our hands liberated and our brain to think and we are living among others other animals and I think I, I always talk about this in different ways even when I talk about a teenage girl 
or later uh, of a passionate love story between her, grown up, and, and a, a, a man, a wonderful man, but who perhaps does not love her. Well, I always talk about, I don't know, our strange species, you know, man, mankind, womankind, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, we are weird, that's for sure. Yeah, yes, yes, the, the, yes. The, the <laughs> I think because of the complexity of the brain, uh, and I have one autistic son, and uh, he's a non-verbal, and because of his, uh, uh, his brain, I don't know, defected or very different, it helps me uh, in, in a way to understand our brain, how, you know, uh, and one autistic uh, woman, she, she can speak and explain, and she said, uh, because now, you know, with CRISPR, that, that, that new technology where they can replace the gene, the, the defective gene with a healthy gene, for different kinds of diseases. And so they said once that we can identify the autistic gene, they can take it out and replace it with a healthy gene. And then there's a movement of autistic people in, uh, in the world who went up and said, who say that we want mm. to stop being autistic? And she explained to me, she said, you know, we don't want to be like you. You people are so emotional all the time and so complicated. You know, we are we are normal. We are simple. And 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 because, like she said, when she's in her apartment in her home, she's not autistic. She's just a person, and that's how her brain functions. And I think we learn, you know, through these different brains that our brain there's no logic. Uh, you know, really, and, and, and we can keep on searching for the purpose of why we are here. And I still haven't found it. I don't know. Have you found the purpose of why <laughs> are we here? The meaning of, of all this, right? And it, it keeps on changing from one uh, decade to another uh, of who we are. We contradict ourselves. If I... Somebody asked me if I, I had translated Rue into English, and I said I wouldn't be able to because I have already disagreed with myself <laughs> with many of the, 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 the thoughts that I had in Rue. And, and, but, you know, but we can still live on with our own contradictions. So that's the weird, you know, the weird brain that, uh, that humans have, I think. Mm. And, uh, but I'm not sure about our planet as being too small. I think the planet is huge, it's incredible, but what we have in any way, at least in the Western world, because of the wealth, the comfort that we have, uh, we had been very abusive. Mm, sure. We abuse mm. and, and it, it has been excessive. Mm. And if we just change that you know, mode of thinking that bigger is better, then we'll have a planet big enough for mm. all of us. I was uh, specifically thinking about the animals because even in parts of the world that are much poorer and less abusive in, in taking all the, 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 the richness of the ground, etc., the, the territory of the animals is getting really very, very small. So there, there are humans now a bit everywhere on the planet. Mm -hmm. So I was just, I was more thinking about the animals. But of course, it's, it's, a, it's a completely... Um, Offensive to I, I I travel very often in Africa and I was in, in Niger not so long ago. It's completely offensive to to tell Nigerian women to stop having all those babies because they they they, they this they, they they can last well they can wash themselves like yeah, very thoroughly yeah. with this and I need a, a shower with tons of water mm -hmm. so I am abusive they are not so we have to change so many things. 
But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, in a, it, it's exactly that. You know, like, we, when we first arrived, we lived in a very small apartment. And for our first few Christmas Christmases, we, we had all our family coming into that small apartment. And it was three tiny rooms. And we were 25 people in there. And we still thought that it was big enough mm -hmm. for the 25 of us. And today, uh, you know, the houses that we have are, are really huge. And we are of the, s the same number of people. And we complain mm -hmm. about not having enough mattresses. And I said, Oh my God, 40 years ago, we were just happy to even sleep in the, the only person who had a whole space was the bathtub. The, the what? The bathtub. The bathtub that they can lie down. Otherwise, you just <laughs> try to squeeze in, you know, wherever we were. And, and so it's, it's, a, it's our notion of what is comfortable, what is good, and what's, you know, and, and I think uh, we are changing a lot. And in Sweden, anyway, you are, I don't know, 10 years uh, ahead uh, of uh, North America in terms of recycling, reusing uh, uh, green energy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, we, we're looking to you. <laughs> <laughs> Look to Sweden. So the only uh, unanswered thing now is, is, is the purpose of life. I mean... Oh, God! <laughs> <laughs> Marie, you have to go with this one. <laughs> I haven't found it. <laughs> All I know is that I I, I have to write. That, that's all I know, and also I I I have to ask, answer my mother. As I think she's calling. No, I was <laughs> no. Uh, I I all I know is that in my case I I have to write. It gives a meaning to my life. I, in a way, it's easy. It's also very difficult to write. It's very melancholy. It's very lonely. I I recently I have three children, but they are growing up, and I recently um, took a dog because this dog walks me. This dog uh, has <laughs> me go out, and I need it, really. Um, and, and, and I, it's, it's a very strange thing to write, and I could not imagine doing anything else anyway. So um, that's my only purpose. It's very close to depression sometimes. I think, I think you're a very particular mixture of energy, joy, and also melancholy. Yes, yes, yes absolutely. Um, I'm a sad person. Uh, you yes. know. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't look that yes. way, but I'm a sad yes. person. Yes, <laughs> I, I know. I you know, know right? I know. <laughs> I know. But I, I didn't have a uh, hard childhood, but I, I'm full of energy too. But I'm also home. Home. I'm a sad person. I, I feel normal when I'm sad in a way. But I write. Writing is very... Um, it's not sad to write, but it's very close to melancholy. It's, it's yeah. a very strange thing. It's a beautiful do. word, actually, melancholy. melancholy yes, right? very beautiful. So that's why we have fun when we meet. And yeah, and she analyzes yeah. me, you know, yeah. that I'm a sad it's, she's person. She's not analyzable. Anyway. <laughs> 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 no, I, 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 my, I can stop writing now, mm. actually. I wouldn't be... Uh, because I I feel that it's a it's a great privilege mm -hmm. for for me. I never dreamed that I I could be just sitting there and studying words, and because I don't own uh, many words, so every word that I use, I have to walk around a word, you know, and really understand it and 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 look for the meaning, the the semantic mm -hmm. of of the word, and it's such a privilege just to be able to sit and do that, you know, and spend your whole day looking for the right word, 
and and one day you I have the patience to sit one oh I love that I yeah. love that if you give me you know the whole day just looking for the the translation for the word oh yeah there's no translation for the word you know the word home in English right it doesn't exist in French home yes home sweet home it's true there's no yeah, translation for that idea. Foyer. Yeah, but it's not home it's sweet yes, home, okay. right? Mm. And and I've discovered <laughs> that jouissance uh, oh, in French doesn't exist in English. <laughs> and I don't know if you have it in, in Swedish, but uh, this interviewer, he asked me, so explain to me what is jouissance, because he asked me, okay, what is writing to you? And I said, writing brings me this jouissance and and he had no idea uh, in English. Explain it, and I can relate to that. Uh, yeah, and uh, and jouissance is, I think, it's more than pleasure, mm. but it's not orgasm. You know, mm -hmm. orgasm is striking, it's short, mm. it's and intense. It uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, jouissance is long, it's ample, and it's round, and you know, enveloping. I think, and uh, right? Yeah, I agree. Uh, the jouissance, and 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 so yeah, for me to spend the whole day thinking about the translation for the word jouissance and explain what is jouissance is, you know. That's the meaning of peace hmm. to me. Hmm. That's the meaning of luxury, of wealth, to spend the whole day thinking about a word. And, and I remember one journalist asked me to write about uh, the, the word refugee. What is refugee? And I thought that I knew what it was, you know, for because I'm one. And, and, and by to have the luxury, again, to spend the whole day thinking about what is a refugee? How do you define a refugee? And I, I, I think I, in my head, a refugee now is someone who has been ejected from the past and not projected in the future and whose present is totally empty of sense, of meanings. And so if you look at, at refugees, we all have the same empty look. You know, you and and I have a picture of us, of the thirteen of us in the refugee camp, and it has exactly the same look. Then you remember that boy in the ambulance in uh, in Aleppo, I think, uh, when uh, the city got bombed and he was covered in dust and just sitting there with that empty look, and we had exactly the same look. So because. There's nothing left. There's no potential. So in a way, you know, I understand for 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 countries, for for us all, to say how can we accept these people because you don't see the potential. So if I'm a Canadian, I look at this picture of the 13 of us today, knowing that the 13 have succeeded, you know, to have a new life in in Canada and in the U.S. I would still not accept them because I don't see any potential. So when you accept a refugee, it's a bet. It's lottery. Mm. You never know if they would turn into something or not, because, it, because they are uh, hibernating, if, if you can use that word, but they are dead seeds. You have to put them in soil and water them for them to mm. become, you know, something. And... and, and so, yes, so I think that's, that's, you know, that's such a great luxury to spend, yeah, the whole day doing that. So if tomorrow my husband says, okay, goodbye, I'm not feeding you anymore, you have to go work, then I go work. 
It's okay. <laughs> I'll be happy still. That's not a problem. Mm. That's like, oh my God. No, they have gone off topic. No, no, not at all. <laughs> I was just thinking about the fact that uh, the, the book uh, Rue uh, got a new, um, well, was part of the Canada Reads project. Yes. Uh, where some Canadian celebrity chose that book and said that it was kind of a cure against um, compassion fatigue. Uh, and I think that was a good uh, way of describing it. And you, you, you <laughs> use, so to speak, the, the the experiences as a refugee again in this uh, most recent uh, book, V, um, translated into into Swedish. Uh, and w could you explain a little what what you, you do this time, uh, what you do with the refugee experience? You know, I thought that after Rude, that was it. I've said all the things that I wanted to say, or that I knew. Uh, that I could share with... Uh, no, at first it was not meant to share with anybody. It was just to keep me awake, right? So <laughs> it was just for me. And uh, and then every time I get the uh, the opportunity to meet someone new with a new story, and then I, I feel so fortunate. And I said, how can I not share the story with you? And the last person I've just met, and because after V, I said, okay, maybe I've... You know, that's it. I, I've said it all again. And I've met this woman who used to be a, sol uh, a soldier in Vietnam. She's 86 now. And she uh, she said that she, well, we knew of her because she came from a very uh, famous family and rich uh, in Vietnam, uh, a Mandarin family. And she left everything when she was 16 to go to uh, with the resistance to fight against the French. And uh, what happened was her entire education was in France, in French, and with French schools in Vietnam. And her her, her closest friend was uh, Juliette, uh, a French girl studying there. And she said that one morning, as they were uh, saluting the, uh, the 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 flags and singing the uh, national anthem, because that's what we did in Vietnam uh, until. Yeah, recently, every Monday, you know, you stand up and you sing the anthem. And she said that Juliette on that day, for some weird reasons, she would just step on the Vietnamese, the shadow of the Vietnamese flag on the floor, like this. And at that moment, it hurt her. And it offended her. And suddenly, she had to decide if she was French or Vietnamese. And she and she realized that she was Vietnamese. No matter what, she will always always be considered Vietnamese. And so she decided to quit school, to leave her family, and to join the resistance. Uh, for nine years, she lived in the jungle, uh, eating uh, rotten rice, one bowl of rice a day, and 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 uh, having a ration of thirty grains of salt every day. Could you believe that? 30 grains of salt. And But she, at that point, it, there, it was her purpose, you know, to, to drive, uh, to seek for independence of the, of the country. And, uh, and then I said, and I listened to her for six hours. I taped her because I thought it was a piece of history, you know, as a soldier to walk into the jungle. And I asked her, how, how did it work, you know, for, I don't know, menstruation? You know, and she said that what they received as women was two little towels with two pins to put 
on the pan, you know, uh, on on directly on the pants, and then the other one would dry as they walk and change. But she said it was okay because they didn't eat so much, so the the maturation was very light and very irregular. Mm. And so, I listened to her for six hours, and I said, "But I cannot not share her story, mm. you know, for her." And she said that in misery. Uh, in, jung in the jungle, everybody shared everything together, and they, they raised their children almost, you know, like a community. Uh, but then, when peace came, and and she was ordered to come out, all of them to come out of the jungle to go back to the city, she said she found herself being alone with two children to carry, and they were too heavy for her to carry, so she had to hang the the, the child from a branch of the tree and walk with one, carry one to the first house, you know, or the first person, give that child to that person, go back and then take that child from the, the branch down because otherwise the, the animals would eat <laughs> the child, right? So she just left the second child. That, and she said, it's, it's very funny, but in peacetime, you no longer have that, that, um, that sponta uh, spontaneous uh, sharing moment and and so there were so many stories from her and i said to myself how can i not share it with you you know because this is the story not about the vietnamese but about humans you know how we sh we are so strong and how we can uh, face uh, adversity in so many different ways and and that's why yeah, I, I don't know what was the question. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> You're going to write this book. Yeah. So maybe yeah. I'll continue to write. <laughs> yeah, was that the yeah, question? Yeah, yeah. No. well, I asked you a question about V, but that's no uh, <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, but, but this one will be, be part Yeah, so V, yeah, every yeah. book is, is about the new stories of, of the people yes. I've met. Yes. Yeah. Um, Marie, when you put your, in, in, in the most previous novel, then translated into to Swedish, we meet your main character again from, uh, from all the way. And all of a sudden, not for her pr probably, but for the reader, all of a sudden she's in Hollywood of all places. <laughs> uh, what has happened? Uh, and how come you have such uh, um, uh, specific knowledge of life there? I've traveled a lot. I, I was uh, my first novel was uh, almost adapted there, so I, w I went there, and I, I, you know, Hollywood is just a normal place where people work work a lot too much, and uh, and y y you're only one handshake from George Clooney. It's very easy. They all have the same sort of houses and the same sort of anyway. So I stayed a, a, a little while there. And I thought, well, she could be anybody in a way, could be a second-rank actress. And she's French, so she's always hired for these roles, like a bit Amélie Poulain of a young, innocent girl on high heels, or a bitch, you know, or, or this, this stereotypes. She's a labeled, she's a, an actress, second-rank actress, always working. She's, a, she's got a good career. She's not a star. She's a... C'est une ouvrière d'Hollywood. Also, Hollywood is the major machine to create stereotypes. Jean-Luc Godard said that. It's, a, it's a, a, a machine to create clichés. We are so stuffed with Hollywood. I love Hollywood but, and Hollywood movies, but there is a certain way to love, a certain way a story has to start, a middle, an end. It's always the same. And you can love in very different ways. But mm -hmm. the Hollywood way is always the same. There are sentences that you are supposed to say, etc. 
So um, she's part of the machine, and she meets this black man who is also labeled, he, because he's black, he's either a boxer, a dealer, a cop, sometimes with a little bit of luck, a Jedi, but you know, a really second-rung Jedi. <laughs> and so they, they have things to tell each other, they, they fall in love. They fall in love as second-rank characters. I, I like these second-rank characters. And then the story, go, it's, a, it's a passion story. I loved writing this book. And it goes, uh, because this man has a, a film to do. He wants, at last, to, to be his own master and to film himself, not to be filmed, but to film his own story as an African person. He wants to shoot a movie in Africa. And I had an experiment of a, a movie shot in Africa, and I went there with a team, etc. So I, I always, you know, it's very, I write about things I know. And, and, and then I make my own story. But I write, <coughs> I had many things to say about the African forest, especially, because it, it's, a, it's, it's too long. It's too long. Read the book. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but there's there's a lot of research going on, but it's kind of research that has been integrated into your life, so to speak. Because sure, yeah. Mm. Um, but she's a second rank actress. She earns pretty well, though, I must say. So you Pardon? do. She earns a lot of money, actually. She has she money. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She's so independent. She. She. she yes. And there's a lot of passion going on, as you uh, as you mentioned, and it's a lot of waiting for the man. Mm -hmm. I must be allowed to say because yes. that that's your life. Early. That's what you know, I like passion and it's waiting for a man. Partly autobiographical, <laughs> <laughs> partly a little part. Yes, yes. No, I I I'm fascinated by uh, text. Well, of course, the major uh, topic of the book. Let's get serious for one minute. Is that uh, it? It's you can walk in the streets of Paris, Los Angeles, or even Yaoundé with a white man when you're white yourself. But walking with a black man when you're white, when you're a white woman, does not attract at all the same sort of look. And it's a whole story. And it's a book, it's not exactly a book about racism, it's a book about the grey zone again, between misunderstanding and racism. And I, I, I shared a lot of stories with friends I met in Africa, or even boyfriends I had, etc. Who, I, there's one story I love, but it's, it, there's one, one of these friends was a really good actor in Avignon, in the Festival d'Avignon, the best theater festival in France. And he had this posh car, Mercedes, really. He was very proud of it. And he goes in a car wash, luxury car wash, to have it washed. He gives his keys to the, the tenant, and he goes. And when he comes back, there's another client who sees it coming and he says, hey, here are the keys, wash my car. Because the client cannot imagine that a black person owns a beautiful car and is not a washer. You see what I mean? And I have so many, I have heard so many stories like that. So going out with a black man is not going out with a white man when you're a white woman. And I had so many things to tell about that. And, and, and waiting, waiting is universal. I was fascinated by the fact that when I was a teenage girl, I waited for letters. So you remember? Some yes. Of you? So you write a letter on a pink paper with perfume. Yes. It takes three <laughs> days because you think about the words, you read it again. Then you stamp the envelope, you go to the post office and you wait for one week. And then the person reads the letter and says, at least another week. You start getting worried after, what, three weeks? 
texts. You start getting wor worried after three minutes. You know, and, and after one hour, it's it's a disaster, and the day after, it's you, you it's you it's forgot. A yeah, you call so, the police. Yeah. <laughs> so what I what I mean is that the sentiments are still the same, but the the speedness of the of, of all this gets us crazy. It's it's a, it's a crazy mm. world, really. Mm. But and there's a tendency that it's the women waiting uh, and the men being waited for. Okay, that's a tendency. The one of my characters is very provocative and says, waiting is a feminine disease. But uh, that's because we are raised with um, sleeping beauty in our mind. I, I, I have th two daughters and a son, and they are raised in a feminist way. But when my little one daughter was five, she was lying on the ground one day, and I said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm playing. Why are you playing at? I'm playing Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> and she was waiting for the prince to arrive. It's a disaster. <laughs> so, so now I buy her swords and, and you know, and <laughs> she has, yeah, be active, do something. Don't wait. Don't wait for your life to begin with a man. And we are, ugh. It's very solid that. Oh, in, 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 no? you know, my, my, when you said about waiting, I think because women are quicker. So we already <laughs> plan, you know, what will come and the men are slower, so they just follow the plan. And that's why we're waiting, uh, because it's for them voice. to arrive, you know, mm. <laughs> because you're slower. <laughs> I, I think more that way but you than Sleeping the, Beauty. The tale, the, 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 she, I she, know. You remember the tale, she sleeps for 100 years yeah. and the guy, the prince, is so active on his horse, he cuts the forest, he asks the peasants, where is she, where's the castle, ah, oh, the castle is here, he goes on his horse and he's so tremendously active and she sleeps, you know, oh, uh, it's a terrible well, story. I don't know. It's a it's a it's a great position. I don't have to do anything. Get ev get rid of all the bad stuff and then come to me when you're ready, you know? And then I'll wake up. <laughs> yes. I I I think you can have that interpretation. But there's some but waiting here as well. She's waiting yes, for yes, she's yes. waiting a lot for Vincent. It's uh, kind uh, of the same. Uh, I I like waiting though. I like slow mail. And today, <laughs> just today, I just mail something by post. Mm -hmm. I know that nobody does that anymore, and I haven't seen any mailboxes uh, around. But um, because we don't write the same way no. when, when, yeah. when we write by hand. And, and I, I had written one book with another, uh, with another author. And, uh, and you know, we, we usually send emails. But just the fact that we use that little window for chatting we didn't have the same conversation. And I have a, a pen pal from uh, Germany uh, uh, 30 years ago, mm -hmm. and we started with letters, sure. of course. And it took not two weeks, but a month mm -hmm. or two months. And, and now with the computer, we could have changed our ways of writing, and we've decided we couldn't because we didn't write the same way when we wrote with you know, a letter or not. But talking about cliché, mm -hmm. Uh, when I first went back to Vietnam in the 90s with my husband, who is white, uh, Canadian, uh, yeah, there was cliché also for us. Yes. They asked me how much I was paid to be with him, right? I was kind of flattered that, <laughs> you know, that, <laughs> that I looked sexy enough to be <laughs> something, you know, someone you would pay <laughs> for. And, uh, and, and when I had my first child, she, uh, we were based in Vietnam uh, at that point. Uh, we were both lawyers there. 
and uh, because my child was, I don't know, he was really pale, you know, with, with yeah, I didn't know that he was my child. <laughs> you know, if I did not deliver myself, <laughs> I would have doubts about my child because he looked so white. And, and you know, I fed him and I said, you're not my child. <laughs> There's nothing linked between us. So, and, uh, and I met other nannies, you know, in parks in Vietnam, and they asked me, oh, how much are you paid for uh, taking care of this kid? And I said, well, quite a bit, uh, <laughs> but not enough because I, I also have to sleep with the husband. Uh, yeah, yeah, not the husband, but the father. And, uh, the fa and then they're all like, oh my God, you have to sleep with the father. And I said, yeah, I know, it's terrible. <laughs> so yeah, I'm talking about yeah, cliche all the time, you know, like if you have an Asian woman with a white child, then necessarily you're a nanny, right? And uh, so, sorry, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're I never, I, I didn't rectify at all with the nannies. I just went there, I know, I have to do that. <laughs> just <laughs> We're about to, to reach end, but I just wanted to finish uh, something about the, the, the main character of your latest book, uh, Marie, because um, she, you allow her to have, uh, she's not a racist, but mm -hmm. she's allowed to have some thoughts that mm -hmm. are in the uh, gray zone mm -hmm. and that she's reflecting about not having uh, a real... Uh, uh, answer, um, possibly. Um, and she is also a little ignorant. She's a little unsure about mm -hmm. the King Leopold and Belgium sure, thing. What yeah. was that about? So, uh, what is the interesting? I guess it has to do with the, the gray zone thing. But, but did you feel that you you? How did you kind of find the um, the right level of intelligence in that character, so to to speak? I don't know. It's it's, it's um, books are musical. It, it's very instinctive. I don't always think. Um, I, I I'm I'm very trustful in the rhythm of the sentence, and I think if if the sentence is rhythmical and musical enough, it will not be. It will be okay, even if I'm entering the gray zone. And also, I wanted to tell the story of a, of a woman who discovers that she's white. She never thought about it before. She thought the world was white. She thought it was natural to be white. That everybody was white. She never gave a thought to... She gave a thought to Africa sending a check, you know, sometimes, because they are hungry people. So, she, th and suddenly she falls in love with somebody who is born in Africa, and she discovers the, the immensity of her ignorance because she never thought about it. But actually, myself, being a, an intellectual, a cult cultivated woman, I, w when I first went to Africa years ago, all the books I had not read, and they had read the books I had read. They mm. had read Shakespeare, they had read Faulkner, they had read... F but I, I had not read, for example, Chinua Achebe. In the beginning, I thought Chinua Achebe was a Chinese, because Chinua, you know? Yeah. So, and <laughs> Chinua Achebe is, is the... Uh, he could have won the Nobel Prize. Uh, so Yenka had it, but Chinua Achebe is the same generation in Nigeria, the same country. So I was so incredibly ignorant, and I didn't know I was ignorant. So it was a very good um, uh, moment in my life. It l Africa for me lasted about 15 years. Now I'm getting too old uh, for many reasons, and more stable also, perhaps. I, I, I travel less, and I... And well, 
anyway, but it has been a very um, rich moment for me, and literary speaking also. I read Zimbabwe. The literature of Zimbabwe is incredible, and I can only read it in, in English. It's not translated enough in French, but I try to have it more translated in French, etc. And the wall of th uh, literature in Senegal, the, the languages used, uh, like the, the, the Kenyan languages by Chongo, I hope he will have the Nobel Prize one day. Uh, all these people I didn't know before. So, and I'm not talking about Asia. Li life is too short. I'm just talking about the fact that I was raised in a small country called, uh, called France, in a small continent called Europe, and that we were so centered on ourselves, you know. And that, oh, wow. When you get out of it, it's good to breathe, you know, to have something else to, um, so, but life will be too short for all these books. But, but you know, anyway. at the same time, because when I, I look at v Vietnam, be, uh, be, you write to feel centered in a way because we, we look up at you, you know, as, as we put friends on this pedestal because it was, you but know, colonization all those it's years. It's a problem included for, for the French. Of course, <laughs> of course. Uh, and because you have mm. to be, on that pedestal, mm -hmm. and it's quite difficult to also have this central place, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and and the same thing for the Vietnamese. You know, we've read all those big French authors, but the the contrary uh, is not true. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but all our beauty criteria is is sure. uh, according to mm -hmm. the to to. French, uh, mm -hmm. and so we all want to have those big eyes with, uh, so the, to open up the eyelids, it takes only $500 and you can have, you know, Western eyes, mm -hmm. uh, because my eyes open up like a garage door, like this, <laughs> and uh, in order to open the other way, you just have to make a scar and it opens up, and uh, yeah, so everything is according, we even have this exp expression that we use every day without realizing, uh, but we say, you know, when a girl is beautiful, they say, oh my gosh, she's so beautiful, she's like a white girl. And, you know, even today, but it has come into the language uh, so naturally that you consider it almost like it's, uh, it's just an expression. You mm -hmm. don't see uh, the meaning of the political and mm -hmm. historical meaning of the expression. Uh, yeah, so, sorry. No, it's super. I, <laughs> I feel... Uh, feel very ignorant most of the time I will uh, and I feel ashamed and I guess that's a good thing if one doesn't feel uh, ashamed it's worse I don't know do uh, you have to feel ashamed no, no, no sure. just we'll skip that like but I will um, force all the ignorant people around me who possibly haven't read your book to do, do it they're great and it's been a great evening um, so thank you very much Maria and Kim thank you thank very much. you <laughs> thank you for enduring us <laughs>